Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day, this is DJ here, and it's episode 61 of the Thrive Deeper podcast. So glad to have you with us. This week, Matthew and I sit down and we finish up the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 27 and 28, the final two chapters in this, our first account of the life of Christ in the New Testament. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew's chapter 27 and 28, this is all about the death the resurrection and the great commission of Jesus himself. So sit down and enjoy that. I want you to pick up your Bibles today and turn to chapter 27 so you can join us here on the podcast. If you're able to do that, that would be really helpful, I reckon. Now, make sure you listen through to the end of this podcast. I've got a really important announcement for you. Something very special at the very end. We've got a special announcement, something bonus coming to you this week. And I don't want you to miss out on that information. So make sure you listen to the end. But right now, let's get into it. I've been reading a uh, good book uh, lately. Okay. I don't make many book recommendations. No, you don't. Are you going to say Deeper Places by Matthew Ducati? (laughs) No, I'm not going to say that one. One of the subjects I think is really important for Christians to read about is Christian history. Yeah. Um, Amen. Of course, we we need to watch out when we're reading Christian history that we don't misunderstand the nature of Christian history because, of course, history as a topic is limited by what gets recorded. Yes. And uh, often you read Christian histories, well, and mostly they are about kings and queens and popes and <laughs> yeah. leaders and and and. And so people think, oh, gee, that's it's a uh, it's just looks like a pretty worldly affair. Mm. But that's that's because the you know the organic growth of the kingdom of God, the other ninety nine point nine 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 percent of what's happening in the church and the yeah. kingdom, the real is an actually it. recorded history. Yeah. So it's like it's not it's not observable to the mm. eye of the historian. So historians naturally focus on the sort of the upper crust. However, there is e- enormous benefit in in reading about this. There's a book by, by Mark Knoll. Okay. Um, uh, N O L called Turning Points. Okay. And it's a brilliant uh, approach to church history because rather than just one big linear story, he focuses on a number of key turning points in church history. And give um, give us an example. Uh, so you know he well he he talks about um, uh, the the conversion of Constantine, or he talks about the Reformation, or he talks about uh, you know. The conversion of John Wesley, or there, there are key moments, um, and uh, I found it a, a, just a great way of accessing church history. Great, and um, it's also available as an audio book. So for oh. those who are, uh, I love my audio books. Yeah, um, I, I use Scribd, which is like a, um, a subscription kind of site that gives you unlimited access to, to audio books. 
Um, but yeah, it's also on Audible or whatever. So, yeah. um, Turning Points by Mark Knoll. We'll highly recommend the, it. We'll have the link in the show notes. Mm. There you go. Kicking off the episode with a mm. uh, book recommendation. Does it have anything to do with the Gospel of Matthew? No. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's well, well, of course it does because <laughs> this is, you know, this is where it all starts. That's it. Um, that's it. Well, let's crunch the gears and, and, and move into, this is it, the final episode of the podcast here on the Gospel of Matthew, well, the final one for now, and uh, we uh, we're going to cover off the last two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. When we finished last week in episode sixty, we had seen the plot for Jesus start and finish. We had seen Judas betray him. Jesus had been hand, uh, you know, was in the hands of his accusers, and they had, you know, judged him guilty mm. of death. Peter had left weeping bitterly over his denial. And we open up in Matthew chapter 27, right at the beginning, with our betrayer, Judas. Yeah, that's right. And um, and he is, Jesus is given over to the Sanhedrin, but the Sanhedrin, as we um, said, the Sanhedrin are the ruling council. By the way, I should say, this isn't the last episode ever. Of this podcast, no, no, no. A little bit like you oh, said no, no, that. the last episode, the last episode <laughs> yeah. of the Gospel of Matthew. I thought, oh, I didn't realise that was happening. I thought <laughs> there was something that you knew that I didn't. No, no, um, no, no. Then, so they, the 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 Jewish Sanhedrin, they have to hand Jesus over to the Roman governor. Uh, now, this is interesting. Uh, the Roman governor is a certain Pontius Pilate, and now, now Pontius yeah. Pilate. Yeah. Is that his full name? His last name, Pilate, first name, Pontius. Well. Where does that name even come from? Uh, well, I'm not exactly sure. It's it's a it's a very Roman uh, name. Because yeah. um, is Pilate like a, I thought Pilate was like a position or, you know, he was a, but that was his name? As or? far, as I, as, far yeah. as I know, that was his name. I'll do some more uh, research on that. Yeah. What we do know is that he is the Roman governor of Judea. He is there from... Uh, about 26, and he um, he is the governor there until about 37. Um, he he's had some really interesting experiences with in as governor, which I think are important background to this story. Uh, he's had quite a fraught relationship uh, mm-hmm. with the Jews, that has also brought him into tension with the emperor. As well, okay. because how how he manages local affairs. I mean, the, you know, the Romans had this vast territory; they had to rule over this vast territory. So they they had to watch out that they didn't rule in such a way that ignited rebellions all over the place, because they couldn't deal with rebellions everywhere. Yeah, they so they had to have a policy out, yeah. of working with local peoples. I mean, their their rule was odious enough mm. to most peoples. Um, I mean, I mean, more than more some than others, mm-hmm. and they knew particularly odious to the Jewish people because of their religion and the nationalism connected with their religion. So um, so uh, they've got to be really careful in this region, in Judea, that they don't uh, spark off a rebellion. That's the last thing that they want to deal with, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, Pontius Pilate comes in fairly hev- uh, heavy-handed Um he first offends the Jews when, when he first comes by bringing Roman standards with images of the emperor into Jerusalem. Uh, he must be fairly naive. Someone must have worded him up 
but he comes in thinking. Now, when hey, you say standard, you're talking yeah, about those flag. classic yeah, big, that, yeah. big poles with the big flags yeah, and emblems off right. the top. Yeah, that's right. Uh, now, previous prefects had actually been careful not to do that, but he just charges in and he brings these flags in. So the Jewish people send a delegation to Caesarea uh, where the area um, uh, governor is, the, the, the ruler over the whole area, Roman rule over the whole area. And um, uh, they uh, they give well, – well, actually, sorry, um, Pilate's base is in Caesarea. Sorry, the, the area governor is in Syria. Okay. Uh, Pilate's base is in Caesarea. So – they give five days to um, uh, to remove the images from the city. Now, on the sixth day, Pilate sent soldiers into the crowd and, and at a signal, they were to draw their swords and cut the Jews to pieces if they didn't allow Caesar's Whoa. image, right? Whoa. So what do the Jews do? Basically, what they did is they fell down together and they exposed their necks. They say, kill us now. Do it. We would rather die. Than have these images, so, so he know, he knows firsthand. So he's realised, yeah, he knows firsthand how serious these right. guys yeah. are about religion. That's right, uh, and so he he just gives out, decides, okay, this is what I'm dealing with here. I'm not going to remove these images. There's a second conflict where he takes funds from the sacred treasury to build aqueducts. Um, uh, this causes an uproar. He he deals with this quite heavy-handedly. He sends um, soldiers into the crowd disguised as civilians and they actually beat the protesters with clubs. Now, this isn't clearly a Roman action. It's it's kind of a shrewd way, but this is the kind of guy uh, Pilate is. And then there's another incident where um, in an attempt to honour the Emperor Tiberius, Pilate places shields bearing the emperor's names in the former palace of Herod in Jerusalem. And this is, again, odious to the Jews with these images of the emperor in the sacred city. Okay. Um, now, they uh, they send a delegation to request Pilate to remove uh, the shields. And when he refuses, they appeal to the emperor Tiberius by letter. Now, Tiberius is infuriated by this and he orders Pilate to remove the shields and to, to, so as to – because he senses that we're on the, we're on the verge of, of uprising here mm -hmm. and this is the last thing that he needs, right? Mm. He's got plenty of other problems going on. So interestingly, Pilate's attempt to honour Tiberius actually causes him to fall into disfavour. So, so he, this is the background for this because he has to be and, – and eventually – um, eventually he's removed uh, from office altogether. By, by Tiberius? Uh, by uh, Varelius, who's the area okay. who's in Syria. Wow. Uh, th that's, that's still to come after this episode. But um, you, you see here why Pilate has to play it so carefully with these Jewish leaders because he cannot risk uprising. And the way that they uh, – but Matthew's in, in the text, you know, Matthew emphasises how – in order to get their way, the Jews kind of levered this delicate position that okay. he was in, right? They're aware of it. Yeah, of they're, course, they're, the they're aware of this, the, yes, right? Of they're course. aware that he's on thin ice yeah. with the emperors, right? So they say, well, he's you know, he's claiming to be the king of the Jews. And if you're a, you know, if you're a friend of the emperor, you know, they really exploit this mm. angle. 
basically, you know, pushing him to execute Jesus. Yeah, it's all. It's almost like you know, amazing. Like at one point when he started, you know, a few years ago, Pilate. That is. Yeah. That, that passion, you know, exposing their necks and saying, we're going to die for this, to the point now where they're playing the political game. I guess that was yeah. even playing the political game. They were savvy, these Jews. Yeah. Man alive, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, that's right. Now, I mean, uh, Pilate cannot see the problem. Yeah. And this is this is a guy who's he, he's not – I mean, the interesting thing here, this is a guy that's willing to be very heavy-handed. Yeah. So it's not because he's just a really nice guy. No, he just sees absolutely no grounds to execute this man. Um, so I think Pilate's character, from what we know from history, uh, like Philo and Josephus, and this is th- these accounts are recorded yes. by uh, those and others, um, is that this isn't just a really nice guy. This is this is a guy that's willing to um, pick up the sword and and have people killed. But yeah. He just cannot see a reason for this with Jesus. So, you know, Matthew wants to emphasize that it was them pushing. It was these Jewish leaders pushing uh, for Jesus to be right. executed. So Pilate then thinks, oh, man, I've got to do something here. And and so he finds a way out and he, he there was this custom that on the Passover once a year that as a gesture um, of kindness to the Jews, the Romans would release a prisoner of their choice. Uh, to them, and often the prisoner would be, you know, a key leader who was loved by the people, mm-hmm. and this would be someone. And the Romans would release this leader, um, and uh, he he gives them uh, the choice. Though um, he brings out Barabbas, this man. Now, Barabbas. now was Barabbas beloved by the people? Well, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't really we don't really know, but. Um, by all accounts, Barabbas was probably a member of the Sicarii, who, who are a very extreme um, zealot group. Okay. They're bandits, and and most probably no, most probably. Okay. The, see, at this time, the, the 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 situation in Judea was very factional, right? They, they no one could agree on how to deal with the Roman situation, and there are all sort of sorts of groups, yep. you know, uh, that are all fighting even with each other about what the right thing is to do. You know, it's it's like the, the, the joke, the people's front of Judea, the Judean yes. people's front. It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, something yeah. out of Monty Python. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but, th- you know, that, that was how the situation was. And Barabbas would have probably belonged to one of the more extreme groups. There were all of these, there were these groups of bandits out in the countryside that would attack Roman convoys and, and you know, do guerrilla attacks on Roman garrisons, mm. and they were just the bane of of the Romans' existence because mm. they would sweep in these bands. They were yeah. basically bandits. They would sweep in. They would do and then, and do damage, and then they would uh, go back to the hills. Now, the, the hills of Judea are very difficult. They're very rocky. Very difficult. You can't just. It's very difficult to go in with horses and chariots yeah. and yeah. and yeah. and a big military. Yeah, a big military. So. Yeah. So it's really good place for hiding, and and so you have these bands hiding out in the hills, or or even down around the de- you know the Dead Sea mm. in the caves, and all mm. it's just really difficult to dislodge. So he, he probably and for most people, um, most people weren't these extreme groups. Okay, most people just wanted to live in peace. Okay, the, they they did they disliked the Roman rule, but you know what? I think they would have thought that these zealots are, you know, are worse even than the Romans. Mm. Uh, some of these more extreme 
um, factions. Now, interestingly, during the Jewish wars, it's these extreme factions actually that that um, that take over uh, Jerusalem. Wow! And and there's actually about three factions. Um, extreme factions that end up fighting amongst themselves. And, of course, Josephus in his The Jewish Wars narrates how um, leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, more Jews were killed by each other in this factional fighting than the Romans killed. It was an absolute bloodbath inside the city, even as the Romans were drawn up around the walls. They were killing each other. So this is – so he represents all of that. so, So he's – Barabbas is probably one of these extreme kind mm. of uh, bandits. So I, I don't think he would have been popular. Maybe to some uh, he would have been. Now, he, he would have been probably, uh, he would have been, um, the, the, the other bandits that would have been in prison with him, of course, are the other two guys that were crucified oh, wow. with Jesus. Oh, wow, okay. They would have been. The rest of probably his crew, his crew, or, or something like that. Yes. See, because we have this idea that that the you know the thief on the cross, yeah. as though he's a common thief yeah. uh, on the cross. I mean, we're working forwards a bit, but yeah. but the Romans didn't crucify common thieves. No, crucifixion no, no, exactly. was uh, was for a rebellion, insurrection. You know, it's, yeah, it's to make an example of someone to yeah. humiliate insurrectionists to say, let everyone take note of this, don't yeah. do this. You know, the famous story of Spartacus, you know, who's yes. crucified uh, later on in Roman history. So um, so these guys are all bandits and they're imprisoned by the Romans. So this is who Barabbas is. Plus we get this weird little insight in verse 19 that Pilate's wife sent him a message in the middle of, of all this yeah. saying – don't have anything to do with this man. Yeah. I had a dream <laughs> about him. Yeah. I suffered a terrible nightmare. Yeah. What you know, walk away. And that and that's interesting because there is no way known normally yeah. that a Roman noblewoman yeah. would have been the least concerned about some humble Galilean guy. Yeah. So so I think this must have been a seriously clear and disturbing dream yeah. for her to actually intervene because normally uh the, you know, the governor's wife would not not intervene in these mm. sorts of things. So this must have been particularly stark and clear and impacting for her mm. to go to her husband to try to intervene uh, like this. So basically what he does is that he is, is um, Pilate sets up this, this scenario where he brings the people together uh, in what normally would have been his moment to release their prisoner. Yeah. But now he has the t- the, these two, the two prisoners and he says, well, who do you want me to release to you? Yeah. And this, again, is a moment of polarisation in the story. This is a moment of polarisation. This is where choices become really clear. And it's, you know, I think there's an important principle here. God puts us in situations that make our choice, our state of heart clear. Mm. And this is another one of these moments where the the decisions that people are making, their state of heart is made really, really clear because they resoundingly call f- not for Barabbas to be crucified but, but for, for Jesus. Jesus to be crucified. Now, this is interesting because Jesus and Barabbas represent a fork in the road. Barabbas represents the revolutionary yes. way, yes. okay? That's the way uh, that they're going to yeah, end up, the way yeah, they and, end and, up going. In a way that is the popular way. So in in some senses even though Barabbas may not have been a popular figure, mm. he represents that kind of rebellion. Yep. Um and this is what Jesus has been warning against. 
consistently. Mm. Don't go that way because mm. that way will end in the desolation of the city. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so here you have this. It's the two kingdoms. It's yeah, the kingdom of have, earth. That's right. And the kingdom of heaven. That's right. And they choose. And not only do they choose, Matthew makes it, Matthew, the Jewish writer, makes it as he's been doing all the way along, setting out the guilt of his people. They go as far as Pilate wanting to be innocent, washing his hands, that, that classic, you know, uh, yeah. everyday phrase now, this is where it comes from. Yeah. I'm innocent of this man's blood. And the, and the people shout out, let his blood be amongst, among, uh, on us and our children. It's heavy, man. <laughs> like it's so heavy. And it's interesting, only Matthew records that. Oh. Um, because, see, Matthew is writing to a Jewish people. Mm. And, again, this has been used down through history t- as a justification for anti-Semitism. Yes. Uh, because, you know, because they called a curse upon themselves. Yep. But Matthew isn't writing this uh, to uh, to condemn his people. He's yes. not writing this to condemn his people. He's writing this to help them to understand the decision that they made so that they can find grace. Yeah. And But it's it's a... It's a starkly polarized situation of yeah. these two kingdoms. It's it really what you know. Remember in Matthew chapter sixteen, where Jesus rebukes Peter mm. for objecting to yep. him going and suffering and dying, and he says, "You do not." He says, "Get be get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You are an obstacle to me." Mm. So this is you know, Barabbas represents the things of man, mm. the the, the mm. agendas of human beings. Uh, uh, this sort of political revolutionary agenda, and and this is where these people choose this, yeah. and this is going to lead ultimately. Them choosing that is going to lead ultimately to, and it's interesting. I mean, they're choosing this radical, and it's actually interesting. It's the radicals that will end that up make them. it such a mess and actually cause the kingdom to implode on itself yeah. and cause the final destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. So this is a very very telling moment mm. in the gospel, in history, everything. Um, so he, so Pilate has to give way. He gives in. He just says, yeah. listen, he, he's out of options. He, he puts the commands out there to his leading men, go, yeah. make it happen, yeah. put him in line for crucifixion. It and says then, there's one line here. He says, uh, but he had Jesus flogged and handing him over to be crucified. I mean, you could easily read over that. Hmm. Um, I mean, of course, a lot of people have probably seen The Passion of the Christ and, yeah. and you know, I mean, Mel Gibson making that movie gives a lot of space to the flogging of yeah. Christ. And it really was... That gruesome. Absolutely gruesome. Yeah, yeah it was a, it was a uh, terrible, terrible uh, affair. Now, you, you brought up that phrase, the passion of the Christ, and, and in, in going through this, uh, this gospel and getting to the end of it with some friends and other people who are going through the Thrive reading um, from mm. different backgrounds, that phrase has come up a few times and the movie's yeah. come up a few times as well. The passion, calling it the passion... You know of 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 Christ. You know the passion of the Christ, passion of Christ. Yeah. You know the passion play. You know the or, you know the stations of the cross. Everything that goes along with that traditional view of yeah. the passion. Yeah. What a weird thing to call the crucifixion of Christ and this trial yeah. of crucifixion. Do you in, in in a way in a way it's appropriate um, because it speaks of God's. I mean, I think we have a slightly different association with the word passion. Mm. Um, uh, in in a, in a uh, you know originally it would have been more this is the demonstration of God's ultimate demonstration of God's love yeah um, 
doesn't have quite the same ring about it as passion does. The what, ultimate what, demonstration. Yeah, of it's, it's more. I mean, passion now is more emotive. You yeah, know, it's it's yeah. a, sort of an emotional flourish. Mm. Um, but I think the original idea, the traditional idea, has something more solid yeah. in mind. But this is absolutely this is this is the moment um, where we see actually what God was prepared to do mm. uh, in Jesus Christ to be reconciled to us. And this is where we see God at his most loving and gracious, and it's where we see humanity at his worst. It's like, as Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's we see here the worst of humanity. We see the worst of humanity, the injustice, the um, uh, and the passion of humanity against God. You know, this is human autonomy at its worst. God is coming to lay claim on his people and they are they want none of it. And and so this polarization moment here where we see the best of what God will do right alongside the worst of people. It's a profound moment. It's DJ here and I want to let you know of a very special offer that we have for you about the Thrive Daily Reading Guides. Now, you know from reading along with Matthew every day that the goal of Thrive is to help you engage with God's Word on a daily basis and let that shape our everyday lives. Now, if you would like to explore the possibility of having the Thrive Daily Reading Guides in their physical little booklet forms available for your church or your group, it might be your life group, your small group, your Bible study, it might even be your workplace, school group, whatever it is, whatever group that you want to get these into, then why don't you contact us at thrivetoday.net.au and look for how you can become a linchpin in getting the Thrive Daily Reading Guides out to your church or to your group. We make it so easy for you. There's no cost whatsoever for you. It's so simple to do. So head over to the website thrivetoday.net.au. Have a look for the way that you can get Thrive into your group into your church and we will come alongside you and help you get this great booklet into the hands of the people that you would love to go deeper into God's word. So just get in contact with us. We'll send you more information. It's so simple to do. Now, right now, let's go back with Matt Jacoby into the final parts of the Gospel of Matthew and I'll talk to you at the other end of our conversation. It's Thrive Deeper, episode 61. We are deep within what we're calling, you know, the final moments of Jesus here on earth, the passion of Christ. He is now being handed over by Pilate to his soldiers. The soldiers take him to their regiment. They mock him. They strip him. They, uh, you know, they just embarrass him and, Mm. and bring him low. And then it's the crucifixion. Then they get him ready for the crucifixion. Um. Crucifixion, 
it's probably worth saying something about that. I, I, I find the symbol of the cross, while I, th- uh, you know, I think it's very appropriate, um, it, it's, it was an enormously gruesome way to die. Yeah. Um, and, and it was resisted as a symbol for a long time. It wasn't, in, it wasn't until uh, well sort of well into the um, Christian history that you start to get that used as a Christian symbol. Yeah. Uh, initially it's the fish. Um, mm. uh, I think I think maybe the emotional yeah, you know, it was just too disturbing. Too, it'd be, yeah, it'd it be like having an electric chair or a noose. Yeah. As yeah. the, imagine having a noose as the symbol of your faith. Yeah, uh, it was just too disturbing and initially. But of course, the, the importance of it is is that it represents the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It represents yeah. represents this this absolute turning point in history. So you know, I think it's appropriate. But but the pro- the problem is is that for us because of the familiarity of 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 Jesus on the cross, yes. we can lose sight of how you know, incredibly gruesome and terrible this way of, of dying actually was. It was reserved for, as I said before the break, uh, it was reserved for revolutionaries and um, the kind of people that Rome wanted to make an example of. Mm. Uh, so because Jesus was officially from, in, according to Roman records, he was crucified for being a pretender king. That's why the sign on top of the cross yeah. was Jesus, King of the Jews, just to make clear what, what he was being. Yes. Uh, I mean, Pilate had to have a legitimate reason to justify him. Yeah. Uh, to, sorry, to crucify him. Mm. Um, interesting Freudian slip. Mm. And so it was for claiming to be the king okay. of, of the Jews. Even though, I mean, Jesus says, "Yes, I am a king, but not of this kingdom." In in John, you know. Yeah. Yet, nevertheless, that's he take he has to take the the, the Jewish words of the Jewish yep. uh, leaders. Um, so, um, so he is crucified because of the the crime that he is indicted for, uh, which is this crime against Rome. Which is, and this is the irony of it: he is crucified as being a revolutionary. And he's crucified with other revolutionaries. That I've said a bit about the yeah. the, the other um, what we call the thieves on the, the cross. rebels. Yeah. Well, in, in, interestingly, the um, the latest version of the NIV uh, refers to them not as thieves but as rebels. Oh, so really? So they pick up on that. Okay, uh, on, on that meaning. Um, so yeah, he's crucified as a uh, rebel or a revolutionary with other rebels or revolutionaries, which is enormously. Um, and tragically ironic because he actually had adamantly stood up to the revolutionary agenda, and yet he's crucified as a revolutionary. Now, um, the the, the importance of uh, crucifixion was not just in the uh, pain it inflicted on, the prolonged pain that it inflicted uh, on the victims. Um, It was uh, important as a... Uh, to, to make them the object of humiliation. It was to humiliate the victims. So they would be nailed up, nude, exposed before everyone. Mm. It was uh, incredibly humiliating. Mm. Um, oh, it's terrible to think. I, 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 you know, it's terrible to think about mm. this, but you know, he, here, is, here is the glorious son of God. Mm. Mm. You know, glory, like... Uh, you know, who, who who existed in glory, hmm. 
and yet gave that up, as we're told in Philippians 2, to be crucified. And this is why Paul says, yeah. even on a cross. Even on a cross. In, in Philippians Even the death two. of a cross. Yeah, yeah. Even death on a cross. And because why does the Paul wor- say that? Because be- it's the worst. And because it's humiliating. It's, it's, because yeah. he, he talks about him, you know, um, leaving this glory behind mm. and s- being subject to the humiliation. It's the humi- humiliation. It's not just the pain. It's mm. the humiliation of the cross. He was strung up nude before everyone. And um, uh, and not only that, but in that moment, he is bearing the weight of the sins of the world. Mm. And his, you know, Jesus' statement on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, Sabbath, uh, Lama Sabakthini is, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is is in a sense, uh, we're working ahead a, a little bit there, no, but he fine. is, um, you know, he is identifying. That's, with, a, that's a psalm, with this, isn't it? Yeah, with, with the, the experience of Psalm twenty-two, he is yeah. identifying with this human experience of forsakenness. Mm. I've got like, there, there is this sense of, you know, he is bearing the sins of the world and identifying with this experience of forsakenness of mm. God. And so he takes upon his lips the words of Psalm 22, which interestingly, Psalm 22 also says in the middle of the psalm there, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Mm. It's remarkable. Uh, and cast lots for my you know, clothing. Mm. It's, it's a remarkable psalm actually in the way that it preempts uh, the crucifixion. So um, uh, so, so that's, the, that's the significance uh, of crucifixion. They, now, the other thing, interestingly, is it says here in verse 34, um, there they offered Jesus wine uh, to drink mixed with gall, uh, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Now, um, this, he didn't refuse to drink it because it just tasted really bad because he said, I, I thirst, right? He yeah. was thirsty and he wanted something to drink. Now, um, the, uh, the gall uh, here is usually... Uh, it's actually even myrrh uh, in in Mark's gospel. Yes, this this was is usually understood as a narcotic to reduce the pain of crucifixion. Okay, um, uh, and so that a was an act of, act of mercy almost. Yeah, th- th- and yeah, that's right. Yeah. and th- there's a document um, that uh, tells us that this was offered um, by the noble ladies of Jerusalem to those about to be executed. Um. And Jesus, perhaps by the centurion or, or, or whoever, um, uh, is is offered this as a as a uh, sort of narcotic, you know, to dull mm. the pain. Now, interestingly, Jesus refuses that. Um, why does he refuse that? Well, he refuses that because he is going to suffer the full consequence. I mean, this is amazing. Mm. Uh, again, this is a detail that we look over. Oh, he refused it because it, what, because it tasted bad? I mean, this mm. is, you don't waste textual space on saying something like that. No. He refuses this because he's not going to have this pain abated uh, the, the slightest bit, even though that was an option for him. So that in itself is quite uh, amazing. Um, and uh, then you, we get this uh, bit about the two rebels who are crucifying, who are crucified with him, one on the right, and and the people hurling insults at him. And this, again, is part of the shame. Not only is he shamed on the cross, not only is this humiliating, but there are people around, all of the people around him are hurling insults at him. Now, this is, this is a significant moment because this is the absolute opposite to what is due to Jesus Christ as God incarnate, who is worthy of all praise, you know, mm. um, at, at whose name every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the 
the diametrical opposite to this. Yep. Instead of worshipping Jesus for what he's doing, they're actually mocking Jesus. And interestingly, um, uh, uh, you know, it's the same the, uh, among that. You know, it says, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants to, for he said, I am the son of God. That's the m- mocking that the, yeah. that the Jews are bringing against Jesus. Now, interestingly, that's a common theme in the Psalms. Often psalmists will complain yes. that the enemies are saying, you know, he believes in God, let, let God him. deliver. I mean, this that could be a quote from yeah. a number of different Psalms. Mm. Uh, but here it isn't pagans saying that to Jew, uh, to uh, a Jewish psalmist. It's actually these Jewish people saying this uh, to Jesus. And... Uh, alongside all of the mocking, of course, uh, the two the two rebels uh, who were crucified with him also heaped insults at him. Unbelievable. Um, and of course, they are indignant because, mm. in their minds, they are being martyred for for the Jewish cause, right? For the this real is their cause. moment. For the real cause. This is their moment of glory. But the, here is this guy that they know stood against their cause, yeah. and he and he is being. Uh, he is being martyred alongside, martyred one of alongside them. of them, yeah. so they don't want uh, they don't want a bit of this. Now, um, uh, as we learn, and uh, this is recorded in um, in Luke's gospel, one of the rebels in the course of the crucifixion, further mm. on, mm. has this realization of who Jesus is, mm. and, and turns. And he's not the only one. You know, we see, we yeah. see as 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 Jesus' death. This is it, the moment. Yeah. You know, halfway here through the chapter, we see that you know, uh, you know, he after he's cried, he, he he you know, people are watching. Yeah. And then he shouted again in verse fifty, and he releases his spirit. Yeah. You know what an interesting way to say that he died. He releases. Yeah, that's right. His spirit. Yeah. And he's he's dead. His physical body. Is dead hanging on the cross there. Yeah, that's right. And not only that, we now get all these spiritual. I mean, right at the beginning, we see, you know, as the noon noon hour hit, as this is happening, uh, until about three o'clock, it's dark. The sun goes away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. After he, you know, releases his spirit, you know, we see the curtain torn in two in the temple. Yeah. We see rock splits apart, earthquakes, people rising from. Yeah. The dead yeah. appearing to many people throughout the city of Jerusalem. Roman officers uh, and other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified. Yeah. And they said, this man truly was the son of God. Yeah, that's right. So so both the thief, one of the thieves on the cross who turns yeah. to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And interestingly, immediate Jesus says, today you will be with me in Paris. Like yeah. that is amazing. And that's in Luke's account. Yeah. It's amazing because that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those elements that you mention are uh, interesting here. First of all, it says that when he gave up his spirit, um, he uh, the, the the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. Now, the temple curtain. This is what's interesting about this: is that the the great temple curtain separated the um, the holy of holies. Yeah. From the, the inner holy sanctum. Place. This was the, and, and on the curtain were embroidered into the curtain flaming cherubim, the f- mm. cherubim with the flaming sword. Yeah. Now remember Genesis, end of Genesis three, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden so that they would not have access to the tree of life, and at the entrance of the garden, God placed cherubim with a flaming sword. Yeah. So, in a sense, the the, the 
the Holy of Holies represented the place where God dwelt. Yes. But that it also represented the sort of that Edenic state, that where the tree access to the tree of life again. Yeah, yeah. So the moment that Jesus dies, that enormous curtain would have been a big, heavy curtain. Mm. Is yeah, torn, not, not, not a flimsy curtain. No, thin, not a flimsy curtain. This yeah. enormous, heavy curtain is torn from the top to the bottom. In other words, this is God doing this. This is God tearing open the way through the death, death of, of Christ, Christ yeah. tearing open the way of access to his own presence and to the tree of life mm. again. And that's why, because of that Reaccess to the tree of life connected with that you have these you, you, we get this uh, earthquake and then people some people rising from the dead now we've already seen this we've seen this with Lazarus um, uh, so but this I mean it's just bizarre isn't it yeah. this moment when people rise from the dead but this is connected with the tearing uh, of the curtain and that access uh, again that we are given to life and to God through what Jesus has done. Now there was there is an interesting point, something that I've never really picked up, and I and I again, you know, I've I, I, this is where I fall into my chart. I call my yeah. my chart type of Christianity, wanting to draw, you know, dates and maps and you know lines yeah. on a thing. When we see, you know, the godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Verse fifty three, they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection. And went into the holy city of Jerusalem. So, yeah. were they hanging out for three days? <laughs> no, like, well, you know, like this yeah. is, is again. We're not. This is not meant to be a timeline. We're not meant to. Yeah. You know, this is. I'm. I'm just. I was like, isn't it? <sighs> yeah. I, it's it had me meditating on the fact that Jesus' resurrection was is like so powerful yeah. that the godly men and women who were in the graves before him. Yeah. You know, were, were, who were looking forward to and hoping in, in in God, you know, for what God would do. When when Jesus made that way to them, they came forward as well. Yeah. So, so I think I think the point is is that following Jesus' resurrection, they they rise up uh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Now, I mean, there are some who say uh, who who want to put this. Um, put a sort of symbolic tinge on it, like this is talking about something in the future. Yeah, still in the future, but. Uh, I think the text is saying that this happened yeah. following Jesus' actual <laughs> resurrection, yeah. that people, other people were actually resurrected in a temporal sort of sense. Those people still would have died. Yes. Uh, but as a sign yeah. of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, it's a pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing, amazing sign. thing. And the, and the and the women are there. You've got Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' close, you know, uh, friends. Yeah. You've got, uh, you know, his mother. And then you've also got the the mother of James and John, you know, uh, yeah. the disciples, these close women yeah. to Jesus, the only ones who are there. Yeah. When we know from another gospel, the youngest, you know, John, yeah. is also there. Yeah. The only one, only one of the disciples right. at the end. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> so then um, uh, the, the next thing that needs to happen is is burial. And it's interesting, they have a friend in among the Pharisees. Not all the Pharisees were were against Jesus. No. This is important to, yeah. to recognise, and certainly Joseph of Arimathea is one who um, uh, is uh, very positive uh, towards Jesus, and um, he uh, gives Jesus his tomb. Now, um, this would have been a temporary thing because the way that the tombs worked is that someone would be put into a tomb, and uh, then. 
uh, so that would be like a cave. They were laying in a cave, wrapped up, laid in a cave. And after a period of between sort of about six months to two years, um, they would, you know, the, the corpse would be decomposed yes. and they would collect the bones and bury the bones. Wow. So, so the tombs were temporary places okay. where the body would be lay until it decomposed and then the bones uh, would be buried. Um, so, so Joseph of and, Arimathea, and, and the bones were in a in a much smaller type of box yeah, than yeah. what we think of a coffin. Yeah, that's right. The bones were collected and put in a yeah, box and then right. buried. Yeah. So Joseph of Arimathea um, uh, is is you know giving Jesus this, and you know he would have been a wealthy, um, he would have been a wealthy man. He would have had a you know pretty a good tomb. I mean, then I'm connecting this with Isaiah chapter fifty three, which talks about him being buried among the rich. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh. which even that is is phenomenal. True here, phenomenal. Um, so the so the women are attending to that. Joseph has provided everything yeah. that they needed it, and then they put you know then they he puts a stone. They roll a stone. I've seen a um, actually just on Mount Nebo. In fact, uh, there's a, there's a there's a a number of tombs that we can look at in and around Jerusalem. Um, the, the the most Notable, I think, is the garden tomb just outside uh, the walls of old Jerusalem, which is a you know a, sort of the, has the cave there with the lying place. It may, may not be where Jesus actually uh, was laid. There's some debate as to whether that was where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is or the garden tomb. I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. Um, the stone is interesting because um, they on Mount Nebo, which is now in Jordan, which is where Moses viewed the Promised Land, and they, they've actually put up uh, that, that they found a um, a tombstone, as oh, wow. in a big round tombstone that would have been rolled in front of a tomb. And basically e- even uh, the, the tombs that you see, you can see where there's this rocky ledge where a it's like a track like a th- yes. that for a stone to be rolled. Yep. So it would have been a big round stone. Like how, rolled, how, how high we're talking? Uh, Man's height uh, or is I'm, it? I'm, I'm talking uh, eight feet high. Wow. Yeah, it was okay. yeah, like – Higher than me. Yes, this thing was enormous. Yeah. This this stone, and and you know, like uh, probably a foot and a half uh, thick. I mean, this mm. was enormous. Okay, this stone, you know? so um, so I, I was you know I was staggered when I saw it. It's like ah, oh, so that's a, that is a really big stone. So it would have taken a number of people to move it move it across. Okay, um, they wanted to use big stones like that, that numbers of people, so you couldn't uh, just get the odd. Uh, um, cave robber or whatever, not that. Well, on, on that point, you know, we have meanwhile behind the scenes, Pilate and the Romans and the Jewish people are saying, now listen, yeah, this guy needs to be guarded. The, these people are zealots. Pilate, in what you've you've explained of his uh, experience with the Jewish people, he knows they can be crazy. He knows that they can be pretty zealous yeah. in what they're doing. So he's like, right here, my guards, seal up that baby, Stand guard. Yeah. No one's getting in or out of yeah, that tomb. Right. Yeah. So he makes sure that happens. <clears throat> yeah. And then, bang, chapter 28, the last chapter. Yeah. Our last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah. And I tell you what, for everything that's got to happen, between, like the resurrection and what's happening now, Matthew has a way of just winding up the story in a hurry. He's not lingering yeah, in this that's one. Right. Yeah. He gets it done quick. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so the women go to the tomb. They are the ones that first, I mean, it's interesting, they're the ones that are there with Jesus at the cross and they're yes. also the, the first therefore. They're sort of granted this first. Yeah. Revelation. Yeah. I think that's beautiful, actually. It is. They it are is. granted this first revelation of the risen Christ. Yeah. And, uh, and they, of course, go back and they report um, to, uh, to the disciples. 
they must have been good. I mean, Jesus had, had said this to them, but yeah. who expects this? I mean, this is a, you know, they, they would have had this expectation of a general resurrection, but there's no, the idea that Jesus would have been raised from the dead, I mean, they're in the, you know, in the depths of despair and, uh, and so, but they, you know, they get this message and of course then they go and check it out and see that it's true. Um, and uh, then you get this report that the rumour goes around is that, that oh, yeah, the disciples stopped. It's yeah. interesting the text sort of preempts the kind of excuses that were yeah. made to discount Jesus' resurrection. I mean, there's all yeah. sorts of, and this is another subject that we won't get into, but the, the case for even the historical case for the resurrection of Jesus is mm. extraordinarily good, yes. as good as anything that we have from history. I mean, it's as good as anything. If not better. If, if not better, yeah. that's right. And, yeah. and it really is, and, and N.T. Wright makes the point that you really cannot account for the early Christian proclamation, which was they were a resurrection movement. I mean, they when they went out and preached Christ, they went out and preached Christ crucified and rot. Rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. Yeah. So the resurrection was a key to their message. Mm. And um, it's, you know, the, the phenomena of the early church movement is cannot be explained apart from the fact that there was, that Jesus literally rose from the grave. Yeah. Um, there, and, and I'd encourage people to, to read up on this extraordinarily, extraordinarily Strong case to be historical case. We might even we might even put some links yeah. to the in the show notes of if you want to do yeah. some more reading around that. Yeah. So we get three basic movements here. We get we get you know the opening of twenty eight is the resurrection. The angels declaring the crew seeing Jesus again, and yeah. Jesus basically saying, you know, to to the to the women, go back and tell them, tell my brothers, I'll meet him in Galilee. Yeah. They leave now. I'll see him down there. Type of yeah. thing. Then you know, and and during that resurrection, there was the earthquake. The angels appeared. Mm. The guards that were guarding Pilate's top men all faint. Yeah, all faint. Whether that was a you know miraculous struck down by yeah. God or they just were so yeah. afraid by the by the angelic presence, yeah. they all faint. And so when they had left, and the women had left, everything's in. The guards get up and go, "What are we going to do?" Yeah. So it's just hushed up. Just. Yep. Conspiracy. Just tell, yeah, conspiracy. Just tell, just tell everyone that the, the grave was robbed during yep. the night uh, by his disciples, which is just enormously uh, is an enormously bad strategy because everyone knows that Jews would never ever enter yep. a tomb. You know that. Yes. Uh, what would not would not mess with with a dead body. Let's yes. put it that way. They, yep. they, because of course they would go to the tomb to. Um, uh, anoint the body and so And it's forth. a straight-up bribe. I mean, the leaders bribe yeah. the guards. They pay them handsomely and say, this is what you must do. Yeah, that's right. You know, and yeah. and, and they have to, yeah. you know, the guards then have to go live with that. The, the finale of Matthew's Gospel, I think, is just, a, it's a beautiful finale because it's not an end, it's a beginning. This is what I love. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it's so short. Yeah. yeah. It's, so, it's it like so five short. verses and it's like, bang, the it's, end. Yeah, but... It, as I said, it's 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 not just the end; it's yes. the beginning. Yes. You know, um, it's you know, it says that you know. Interestingly, it says that when Jesus came to his disciples, it says when they saw him, they worshipped him. Uh, Hot dash, but some of them doubted. Yeah, that's right. And, oh. and of course, we know that Thomas uh, doubted, but Thomas also yeah, end up believing. But this is what I love about yeah. Matthew, and this is what I love about yeah. the Gospels. 
there's no whitewashing here. That's right. Yeah. There's no there's no presenting these guys as heroes. Yeah, that's right. They're not. They see the resurrected right. Christ and still some of them are yeah. like, yeah, well. That's right. Oh, my goodness. And it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. I mean, that's the fulfillment of, you know, Daniel chapter 7. Yes. All authority yeah. uh, is given to the Son he's of Man. Won, he's, he's won it. Is it do, do you, would you say that he won it back? Yeah. Is he, is yeah he, he has gained... He what has, Adam forfeited, what Adam gave that's away. Right. Yeah, he, he is. He has won that back. So, um, you know, there, there, he, he has defeated the enemy, um, and he has gained back this jurisdiction. I mean, God is always God. The earth yes. is the Lord, Lord's, and everything in it. But now it's it's like doubly. Yeah, it's now doubly so. Mm. And so Jesus now has won the right to draw people into his kingdom, right? All authority has been given. And so he then sends his disciples out. This is the starting end. Because of what I've done, now go and bring in the nations. That's now, the is this the first mention in, in one sentence in verse 19 in the New Testament? Let me know. I, I, could, be, I could be wrong here. Is this the first mention when he says, you know, go into that, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Yeah. That's... It's- yeah, there, there of course is the presence in Jesus' baptism. Yes. There's the presence of the Trinity, but saying uh, it in the, such the voice a way, of God, the the Holy Spirit representing the Dove and the Son. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this baptis, baptismal formula here in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again, you know, it's part of the end that is the beginning. It's this beautiful moment oh. uh, of of a new beginning, and of course the. Um, the imperative is to go and make disciples of all nations. The imperative, by the way, isn't on the word go. Yes. Uh, the word in Greek, the word go is a participle. So it's almost as you go, yes. wherever you go. Yeah. Less, less we think that it's, you know, there was a classic song by Keith Green, wasn't yeah. there? You go. know, Jesus commanded yeah, us to, to go. go. Yeah. You know, so unless he's told you to stay, the yeah. command is to go. Yeah. Well, actually, the command <laughs> in the Greek isn't, isn't on the word go. The command well, is on. Come on, don't, don't knock, okay. me. Don't knock well, Keith well, here. But well, the, well, but some the, of us... You know, for, for some people, going somewhere intentionally to do that is is the case. Yes. But the point of this is wherever you, you go, yeah. whatever make you're doing, disciples, yeah. make disciples. And I love he even explains how you make the disciples. You know, they're they're baptized, and then you teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Yeah. So That's there's right. the, the the responsibility responsibility there is, and the grand thing that Jesus leaves us with is to teach. Yeah. Teach. That's right. And, and in one in one humble, you know, uh, you know, very humbling way, this is one of the motivations that I know that why you and I yeah, do yeah. this. But the onus then is for them to obey yeah. the commands. Yeah. That he has given us, and that shows. Oh, it's it's so rich. Even that little sentence is just yeah. so rich. Yeah, and you know, and this is where, in in as we are baptized and and as we begin to walk with God, learning the ways of God, learning the ways of Jesus is so crucial. It's it that and. and I mean, you're right. The fact that it's even mentioned here, teach them everything that I have commanded. Yeah. As um, as Christians, we need to be we need to be devoted to the Word of God. Absolutely yeah. devoted to the Word of God. And and the beauty thing is the beautiful thing here. Sorry, Matt, to yeah. cut you off there, is that you know we get the final sentence. The final sentence from him, Matthew, is where to teach and where to obey and where you know to do what he's given us to do. And but we're not alone. Yeah, we're not doing it in That's our own right. strength. He's like I'm with you forever. Right. Yeah. So this is the thing. Jesus' ministry doesn't stop here. Yeah. 
Jesus' ministry actually begins in a worldwide sense here. Mm. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus' ministry goes worldwide through his people. And this is, you know, the point I made about, you know, wherever you go, the reason for emphasizing that make disciples is that whatever wherever you go and whatever you do, this is what life is about now. This is what life is about. It is about making disciples. And to make disciples is to draw people into what God is doing now into Jesus, in, in Jesus Christ, is to draw people into realizing their true humanity, to draw people back to their mandate, uh, to, to that creation mandate, to be everything that God has created us to be, to empower people, to take responsibility for our lives, the world, for each other, and um, and to become a part of one worldwide family of followers of Jesus. That is, you know, that is, is the mandate. So whatever, I would put it this way, whatever your occupation is, your preoccupation is with the mandate of Jesus, with making disciples wherever you go. That, that's beautiful. One last question as we wrap this this up. This is a final thing. We, we could have gone out with that, Matt, but one final thing. We started the book of Matthew and we and we've it's the first book out of the Old Testament. Mm. It's written by Matthew the Jew yeah. to the Jewish people. Yeah. You know, very Jewish all the way along. Yeah. This sense at the end here, like he you know, we have just seen the Jewish the Jewish people betray their yeah. Messiah and and give away and mm. choose against what God has chosen for them. Yeah. We, th- we see the Jewish disciples fumbling and failing over yeah. and over again in multiple different ways. These final statements about Jesus, about you know the disciples coming to him, he commissioning them, him having authority, mm. you know, him opening up with that mm. line about authority and saying that he will be, be with them. What do we take away from the Jewish aspect of it? What do we take away when we think about how Matthew has painted the Jews and how Jesus is talking to him? Because the final yeah. line there is echoing some of the things that he's already talked about in previous chapters because he says, I'll be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very Jewish way of thinking yeah, even. Right. Yeah. What do we take away from it? Well, uh, initially the the early church that grows out of this is initially a Jewish movement. Mm. I mean, this is important. It's not like uh, it just goes straight to the Gentiles. No, this is it, it's actually the Jewish people who receive this this message and pass it on to the Gentiles. And of course, Paul, as the Jew of Jews, is is largely responsible for that. And so, um, there is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. That's the uh, that's the sort of um, the way that this works. And so, there's this sense in that we are therefore grafted into something that happened before. This is what Matthew is linking Jesus' life with everything that happened before throughout the Old Testament. So we're not just, you know, we're not like New Testament Christians, no such thing as a New Testament uh, Christian. We, we are, you know, we, we have been grafted in to the covenant first made with Abraham mm. uh, and to be blessed to be a blessing. You know, we are part of the people of God, the covenant people of God, grafted in. And uh, and so the mandate um, to fill the earth and subdue it, in other words, to make disciples given in Genesis 1, that, that now becomes our mandate. That becomes a universal mandate. And so we all, therefore, have this amazing opportunity uh, to be this kingdom of priests that was originally said about Israel. 
we are all, we are a kingdom of priests. We are mediators of God's blessing and grace and forgiveness to the rest of the world. Wow, what a amazing challenge that Jesus leaves with us here at the end of Matthew, the Great Commission raising the bar, as it were, and uh, challenging us to step up. I hope you feel uh, as challenged as I do about what we've been talking about. Now, I wanted to give you a few bits of news and a very special announcement here at the end of the podcast. And big shout out to everybody who's listening. I asked if people listen all the way to the end and I did get a lot of you contact me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, for those who listen uh, pretty much the minute the episode comes out or the day the episode comes out, I need to apologize because this past week has been an incredibly busy week and we were unable to get this episode out to you Friday morning Australian time when we usually put the episode out. So it is a couple of days late. That is my fault and I apologize for that. But I don't want to come to you apologizing empty-handed. I wanted to give you something as well. So we've got a very special episode that Matthew and I recorded a couple of weeks ago. Now, this is all about the uh, the case that is going on here in Australia about religious freedoms, and it's about Israel Falau. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with this case, just do a little bit of a uh, Google search, read some news stories on it over here in Australia. And uh, it's about a football player here in Australia that has uh, been sacked for his religious views. Now, whether you're for it or against it, whatever you think about Israel itself, Matthew and I sat down and had a conversation around that. And we're going to release that this week in a few days as a bit of a special bonus episode, something completely different that we do. So consider it a bit of a, not really a Thrive Deeper, but consider it a bit of a special Matt and DJ talk about a current topic. And if you like this and if you want more about it, then let us know. We'll put some little bonus episodes out there about stuff that you would like us to talk about. This is a great case for that. And uh, this is very much coming from Matthew's pastoral heart and having members of his congregation really, really confused and sometimes really questioning what the church's role in all of this. So I know it's going to be a great conversation that you will enjoy. This is going to come out in in, uh, the feed normally where you get your podcast. It'll just appear in the next couple of days so enjoy that if you're not into that type of stuff and you want to stick just to the thrive daily reading guide and what we talk about there about scripture feel free to delete it it's out there for free you can do whatever you want with it there and like we said in the middle of the podcast if you want to become a basically a little distributor for the thrive daily reading guide the physical copies in your church or small group or wherever you are let us know we would love to help you to do that Best way to get in contact with us, as always, is over at thrivetoday.net.au. Well, until next week, it's a brand new edition next week. Can't wait. It's DJ here on behalf of the team. Thank you so much for all the support, love and prayers that you give us here at the Thrive team. See you later. Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you are reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. 
Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's word and thrive.